Yeah, I've got some nods. I heard a few oh me's. Thank the Lord for the rain. Some, uh, I had Sheila at the doctor today, just routine stuff, and, and the nurse was uh, fussing about the rain. I said, hush. I said, we need 10 inches of rain between now and 1st of June. I said, we've got to get water in our pond because uh, how many know water is important? If you run out of water, you're in trouble. Uh, so let it rain, let it rain. Just leave the wind alone. Anyway, let's open up. We didn't come talk about the weather. Uh, anybody have a prayer request, a need tonight? Just signify by lifting your hand. If you're online tonight, thank you for being with us. And if you have a need, uh, please go ahead and write that down as well. Just comment and we'll pray with you as well. Let's pray. Father, tonight we are grateful. Uh, Lord, for the rain. What a, uh, Lord, just what refreshing it is. Lord, it washes the impurities out of the air. It nourishes the ground. Uh, Lord, there is a spiritual parallel. And I just pray that the that you would just saturate us, Lord, that you would refresh our soul, our mind, uh, Lord, our spirits tonight. I, I thank you for just the privilege to come together and study your word. And I just pray uh, as we begin tonight, we lift up uh, all the needs that are present here, every hand that went up in the building, those that are online tonight. Father, we just pray that you would, uh, Lord, just intervene and take charge. I pray for those that need a healing touch. God, we still believe that you are Jehovah Rapha. You are the God who heals uh, Father, I thank you that you're a God who provides. I thank you that you are the wonderful counselor, the, ever, counselor, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Uh, Lord, I thank you that, uh, Lord, every name that you bear is a blessing you share and that we can anchor in who you are. I pray tonight you'll be with all the ministries across the campus. I pray, God, that you'll be with us in our time of study. Uh, Lord, and I pray for a revival. Lord, we pray that you would work in our families as we draft up our family series, uh, Lord, this past week. Father, just do the miracles that are needed. Uh, in our families, as we declare our families to be uh, yours, Lord, we commit to them. Uh, Lord, I pray you'll be with us again in our study. Open our hearts. Let us hear what the Spirit says to us. We commit it now to you in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated tonight. Go ahead and turn to Ephesians 6. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6. We're continuing with our series, Got Questions. Uh, While you turn there, a couple of announcements. Don't forget, tomorrow is our food distribution day. Uh, we are praying that we can get it done before the rain, uh, but we will be doing that tomorrow out at Yellow Jacket Stadium. Also, um, over the next week, if you'll pray, there's about 30, I think there's about 30 people that will be headed out uh, this weekend, headed on a cruise, uh, and so just pray for safety and, and relaxation and nobody gets tossed overboard. Um, you know, that would be a bad day. <laughs> Uh, so any, anyway, uh, and then also there was one more that just, oh, fam, uh, I do want to, uh, just, uh, encourage fam for anybody. If you have, if you know, like you have grandchildren or what have you, that, uh, couples, young families, fam will be doing their, what are you calling that sweetheart? Oh <laughs> yeah. Something simple. School's out bash. Um, school's out bash on May the 20th from four to six. Uh, out at the barn. It's the gathering at the barn. So, again, if you know of any uh, couples with children, that we have a place for kids. And, again, this is part of our family and marriage ministry, and uh, we're excited about that. Well, let's get right into our question uh, tonight. We Again, we're just going through answering questions that, are, uh, that, that a lot of people have. And tonight we're going to be talking about uh, answering the question, angels and demons, really? Angels and demons, Really? 
So Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6. Did I say 5? Oh, did I say 6? Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, it's been one of them weeks. You know, I just meet myself coming and going. Uh, so Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 12, you know it well. Uh, Paul says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And then he launches in and says, put on the whole armor of God. We're going to stop there. May the Lord add his blessing to his word tonight. So we're going to answer the question, uh, are demons, are angels and demons real? Uh, You know, because we live in a time today where uh, you've got a lot of people, and I didn't bring the data, I didn't really bring statistics, but George Barna, who is a pollster, keeps keeps his thumb on kind of the the, the leading trends among Christians in particular. And uh, last time I read some of his stuff, I was really alarmed at how many professing born-again believers uh, do not believe that the Holy Spirit is a real entity. Uh, and, and there are many that don't, do not believe that the devil is a real entity. They think he's a metaphor or the devil's a metaphor for really bad people. Um, and so tonight we want to kind of we're going to kind of zero in on are angels and demons real. So, so let me just start by sharing with you. One, I have a story uh, that's always been fascinating to me in, in the Bible. And it's, uh, again, there's a lot of fascinating stories. But this story is really uh, intri- has always intrigued me. It's found in 2 Chronicles chapter 6. And, and, and the story is basically this. The, the king of Syria is frustrated because every time he made a move, the children of Israel were able to counter that move. And, uh, you know, God revealed it to Elisha. That's what was going on. Every time he made a move, God revealed it to Elisha. And, and so they told the king, here's what they said uh, to the king. They said that Elisha could hear the words you speak in your bedroom. Anybody remember reading that? That, that Elisha could hear the words in your bedroom. So, so what does the king do? So the king sends horses and chariots and, and, and this tremendous army, and they surround Dothan. Okay, Dothan is that city where Elisha uh, and, and uh, what was his name, uh, his servant, Gehazi, were, were, were staying. And verse 15 of chapter 6 says, When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots were all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, master. What shall we do? Now, the word alas simply means, oh, my. <laughs> uh, maybe not in a, maybe, maybe a little more pronounced than that. Maybe it's like, oh, no. <laughs> um, and, and what it refers to is this deep, like, oh, my goodness, we're in for it. Okay? And, and you remember what Elisha said to him? He said, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And and again, that's always intrigued me. Uh, And and then, so what does Elisha do? So in verse 10, Elisha just simply prays a 10-word prayer. uh, In verse 17, I'm sorry, not 10. He prays a 10-word prayer. It goes something like this. Oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. That's it. Nothing profound, just a simple Lord open his eyes that he can see. And the answer comes real quick. 
the Bible says, So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I've always been fascinated by that story. What does that story tell me? Well, you know, most of us determine reality through our physical senses. Okay, what I see, what I smell, what I hear, what I touch, what I taste. But for Elisha, Elisha, the spiritual world was just as real to him as the physical world is to us. Uh, You know, I, I want you to notice that Elisha didn't even ask for the angels to show up. You know, I mean, he didn't pray that. He didn't say, oh, God, we're outnumbered and outgunned. Please send the, the heavenly host of angels. He didn't even pray that. He just simply prayed, Lord, open his eyes so that he can see. Because they were already there. They were already there. So, so <clears throat> pardon me, right here and right now, there is an invisible world that is more real than the world that you and I live in in the physical realm. Again, you don't hear a lot of people talk about it. The church doesn't talk a lot about it. Paul, writing in Ephesians 6.12, says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, <coughs> but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, one translation says, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Again, Paul himself is acknowledging that the battle, a lot of times, well, actually all the time, uh, our battles that we fight manifest in the natural realm, but many of them have a supernatural element to it. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. The battle isn't between a brother or a sister. That's not the battle. The battle is a spiritual thing. So, So we're talking about angels and demons. Are they real? Well, angels make an appearance over 300 times in more than half of the books of the Bible. Now, what are angels? Well, you need to understand, angels are created spiritual beings. Very important, we, we use that word created. Angels are, are created beings. They were created by God who is the creator. They, they exist with individual existences, personalities, uh, and, and they are beings of high uh, intelligence. So some, of the, so some of the questions, and I'm just going to go through them. I don't have them on the screen. I'll just go through them real quick. So who created the angels? Well, according to Psalm 148, God did. The psalmist writes, praise him, all his angels, praise him, all his host, for he commanded and they were created. Okay? So when, the, when were the angels created? Okay, there's another big question that people have. When were the angels created? Well, according to Job 38, angels were witnesses of the creation of the world. So they had to be created in the very beginning. Uh, uh, you know, the, the Job, God asked Job this question. He says, where were you when I laid the foundation, the earth's foundation, and all the angels shouted for joy? So if they're going to shout for joy at God laying the foundation of the earth, then they had to be created prior to that, right? Okay, so here's another one. How many angels were created? Well, Hebrews 12, 22 says that angels are innumerable. Daniel 7, 10 refers to 10,000 times 10,000. Well, if you do the math, that's 100 million. Revelation 5.11 says that it lists them. It says they are myriads upon myriads of angels, which basically means innumerable. (laughs) They're they're millions of of angels. Here's another one. Do angels have wings? 
You know, isn't it funny that uh, every February 14th, you see those little fat, chubby cherubs with the, you know, eat too many ding-dongs and ho-hos and got the wings. Do, do angels have wings? Well, here's the thing. I don't, I don't know that we can be dogmatic on it. We're not certain if all angels have wings, but we do know that the seraphim have wings. It's a class of angels that we find in Isaiah chapter 6. Do angels have names? Well, they might. We don't know. I mean, there's only three angels named in Scripture. Anybody know what they are? Michael? Gabriel? Lucifer. Yeah, Lucifer, who actually fell and became the devil. Okay? So, so that's all we have. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's, the reason I'm doing this is because if you walk into a Christian bookstore, there are books today that want to teach you how to find out who your guardian angel is. And, and I'm not making that up. You, and they, they want you to be, they, they try to go through and teach you how to communicate with your guardian angel. And, and I think we need to understand angels and demons in the proper context of what the scriptures teach us about them and then nothing more. Nothing more. It's very important. Uh, so do good angels, here's another question, do good angels still have free will? Well, again, I think this would be something that would be very difficult to be dogmatic about, but I think it's likely that after Lucifer's uprising, after the rebellion, when he took one-third of the angelic population with him, I think it's safe to say that those who remained are forever sealed in their decision. Um, good angels are, again, I think they're going to be consistent with their nature. Good angels will freely choose to good, do good, and bad angels will continue to choose to do bad. Uh, do we become angels? Here's another one. Do we become angels when we die? How many ever heard somebody say, well, they got their wings? They didn't. They didn't. You know, it's, it, it's, it is a common belief in our culture today to say when someone dies, heaven gained another angel. And, and maybe that's maybe a metaphor, uh, metaphorically speaking, but in reality, that's not, that's not accurate. There is no biblical basis that when we die, that we somehow become an angel. Human beings are made in the image of God and are unique in our nature and the way God created us. So we don't, we don't change into something else in order to make it into heaven, right? So I'm not saying if somebody says, thank you, I'm not saying if somebody says, well, they gained their, their wings, that you sit there and say, well, that, you know, and just kind of argue with them. Don't do that. Just understand that we don't become, we don't become angels. Um, anybody ever, you know, you know my joke, I live with an angel, right? Always up in there harping about something. No. <laughs> I better move on. <laughs> So, so let's look at some things about angels tonight. Let's look at the activity of angels. You know, there's a lot more that could be said, but I, th I think I've, I've reduced it down to four key activities of angels. Number one, worship. Their primary responsibility is to praise and worship God. Isaiah 6, 2 and 3 says, Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy 
is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Angels are involved in in, in adoration according to Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 6. It says, you are the Lord, you alone. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them with the host of heaven worships you. Again, they are there to worship. John himself gets in on this in Revelation chapter 5. He said, then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels. There it is again, many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, this is the angels, worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing." So one of the activities of angels is to worship. Another one, number two, is to work. Work's a four-letter word, W-O-R-K. The word angel in both Hebrew and Greek literally means messenger. Messenger. Angels obediently carry out God's plan uh, according to Psalm 103, verse 20. It says, bless the Lord, O you angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. These worshiping uh, workers are often sent by God to uh, help God's people. In fact, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, remember what he says? The writer says, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Again, these are messengers that are sent to help us. Um, I think most of us here, and maybe there's some here that have a story of maybe an encounter that could only be explained as an angelic encounter. You know, some, most of the time we will never know. I've read stories of really significant stories of people that had divine interventions that could not be explained any other way than God's heavenly messenger was there for them. First Kings chapter 19, we find the story of an angel that appeared to Elijah. You remember what he was doing in, in, in early on? He was running. You know, he'd, 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 we'd had the incident on, the, uh, on Mount Carmel. They, he had, they'd sacrificed. They'd killed all the prophets of Baal. And then Jezebel comes along. Remember what she said to him? She said, you know what? May the, may, may the gods do unto me, and even more so, if by this time tomorrow I've not done to you what you did to them. So what does Elijah do? This brave man that stood up in front of the entire nation and, and the prophets of Baal, he gets scared and he runs. And he runs and he runs, and in, verse 19, in, in chapter 19, it says, And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. This messenger, this worker, was sent, dispatched to intervene. Matthew chapter 4, verse 11, it was the angels who helped sustain Jesus when he was uh, in the wilderness for 40 days. It says, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. In Luke 2.10, it was the angel. Uh, It was the angel Gabriel who brought good tidings of the birth of Jesus. Matthew 28, 5 and 6, an angel announced the resurrection. He said, do not be afraid. I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just like he said. Angels worship and they work. And number three, they walk. They walk. Angels, while angels are normally invisible, Psalm 34, 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps about those who fear him and delivers them. Hebrews 13, 2 says, 
uh, tells us basically that there are times when angels will take on a form that we can see. And, and here's what he says. He said, do not, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. What does that mean? You know, I, I think this is one of the reasons that we need to be very careful about how we treat other people. Because we really have no idea that somebody that we're interacting with could be an emissary from God for a specific purpose that we, we know nothing of. Again, we have to be careful. Um, you know, it's quite possible to be face-to-face with an angel and not even know it. Look at the person next to you and say, are you an angel? No, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, saw some, I saw the wheels turning. There was some comments wanting to be made right there. Listen, as far as I, listen, as far as I know, I've never seen an angel. Never seen an angel. You've heard my story how when uh, years ago I spent many, many months uh, when Sheila and I first moved over here, I was unemployed for about 10 months, really got into a very desperate situation. And uh, long story short, one Sunday night at, after church there in Grand Prairie, I felt the Lord just kind of impress on me to come back and pray. We'd had a revival service kick off that morning, so I, Brother Bob Skipper was my pastor at the time, so I said, Brother Skipper, would you mind if I come back tonight and pray? And he said, not at all. He gave me the keys. And you got to understand, at this point, I was at the lowest, probably the lowest point I've ever been in my life. I, I was kind of like Job. I knew God knew where I was. I didn't understand why God wasn't answering my prayer. You know, I watched as a, uh, my daughter was young. Um, I, I'd get her uh, up every morning, get her to, to daycare, uh, Sheila worked for the government at that time, but living in Dallas, I mean, it was really, we were sinking, sinking fast, living on credit cards, uh, just frustrated. And my problem to me was so big, and I'd be, I've shared this with you before, that I felt like when the Lord impressed upon me to come back and pray after everybody had gone, I, I arrived back at that church, Abundant Life Assembly of God, South Carrier Parkway in Grand Prairie, Texas. Everybody's gone. I turn on some worship music. I go down to the front where the altar was. I lay on the altar, and I cry until I couldn't cry anymore. I cried every tear that I ever had out. I could not cry anymore. But I knew that my problem was so significant that God was going to dispatch one of his angels to come walking down that aisle and say, Thou man of faith, God's got you. (laughs) I prayed from 10 p.m. to 2 or 3 a.m., and every once in a while in between my sob, I'd look up, look down the aisle, waiting for that angel to show up. (laughs) Never did. Never did. But I tell you what happened. I walked out of there with a peace that God had me exactly where he wanted me. There's more to the story, but anyway, so so again, we have this idea of angels, and I was, you know, to my knowledge, I've never seen one. So they worship, they work, they walk, and then they war. They make war is number four. I, I think we need to remove the image of our February 14th angels. <laughs> you know, these cute, chubby, cherub, beanie babies, you know, because angels are called by God to be executioners of his justice. I had somebody, I saw a, uh, a picture, somebody tried drawing the seraphim of Isaiah 6. I would not want to run across that 
at night because with the eyes all over its head and, I mean, it, it's just something I don't want to come across. You know, so we, again, we've got to get this idea that, that, baby, that these little fat cherub babies, that's not, what they, that's not a picture of angels. These are mighty warriors of God. In fact, the reason I know they're so intimidating is that the common, think about this, the common human reaction to a a face-to-face encounter with an angel is fear and dread. And the reason I know that is because when when you read the encounter in Scripture, the first words out of the angel's mouth are, fear not. Fear not. Them dudes is big. And they're frightening. I mean, you think about one warrior angel went to work in 2 Kings 19. It says, And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. One. Revelation 12, 7 describes this future fury of the of this righteous indignation of God. And here's what he says in verse 7. says, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown out. And the, that ancient servant, serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Wow. Mighty angels. Listen, when angels go to war, they always win. They always win. So we looked at the activity. Let's look at some cautions now regarding angels, okay? One of of them is this. Don't put angels above the Bible. You know, you would think that would be something that we would all understand, but as I said, if you go to a Christian bookstore today, you're going to find books that talk about having these revelations from these guardian angels or what have you. Be very careful when somebody starts talking like that. You know, there, there, there's a theological term for that. It's, it's spelled B-O-L-O-G-N-A. Got to be careful about that. While angels, listen, angels deliver messages from God, they, they never supersede or contradict the Bible. Never do. We live in an experiential world today, and, and people want to validate the Bible by the experience. That's backwards. You, you validate your experience by the Bible, not the other way around. And that's why we have to be very careful. Don't put angels above the Bible. It, listen, if, if an angel gives a message, and that message is contradictory to Scripture, that message is deception, and it is not of God. It's not of God. You know, books suggesting that we can speak directly to our celestial friends and attain new insight from heaven, that's deceiving thousands of people today. I saw a clip from a person that I know uh, was standing up in front of some people, moved off to another state, but I saw this clip and was talking about seeing and visiting with angels, and it grieved me in my spirit. So that leads to the second thing. Not only do we should, the, the, the caution about angels, don't elevate angels above the Bible. Number two, don't worship angels. Don't worship angels. If you look at the biblical uh, revelations of angels, good angels never draw attention to themselves. 
they can get our attention, but they always do it for God's sake, not their own. When the, uh, in, in fact, when you read through Scripture, when biblical angels discharge their duty or deliver their tidings, they withdraw from human contact. They don't build relationships. They don't, they don't establish friendships. That's not what they're there for. Um, we're never encouraged to seek or establish an ongoing relationship with them. Again, they're, they're not there to stay. They're not there to, to the, the focus is not on them. The focus is on worship of God. Uh, here's what Revelation 22 says. I, John, am, one, am the one who heard and saw these things. Listen to what he did. He said, when I heard and saw them, I, talking about angels, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. See, that's what the angels do. If somebody bows down to worship them in Scripture, they always say, no, 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 don't do, don't do that. We're fellow laborers. Number three, angels are not to be prayed to. We don't pray to angels. You know, they, they may deliver answers, right? Daniel chapter 10 They may deliver answers, but the Bible never suggests that we should direct our prayers to anyone other than God. We don't don't pray. We don't have vigils to angels. The Bible never records one incident of a human being initiated conversation with an angel. Never does. If there is a human contact in Scripture between an angel and a human being, it's always initiated by the angel who is the messenger from God. Always. Always. Number four, angels never replace Jesus. See, Jesus is the center stage. Angels are the supporting cast. They're there to do his bidding, carry out his wishes. Referring to what uh, Jesus accomplished and how people responded, I like what Peter said. First Peter, again, talking about salvation, First Peter writes, that angels peer over the portals of heaven because they're fascinated by this idea of salvation. In fact, the Bible, Peter says, things into which angels long to look. They don't, they don't have the same relationship that you and I have with God. They don't, they don't have that. As powerful and as wonderful as angels are, they are inferior in position and power to Jesus Christ. He is the one who spoke and everything came, including the angels. So we'll shift gears a little bit. Uh, We've talked about the activity of angels. We've talked about some cautions of the angels. Uh, Let's understand now, let's move into the demonic side or demonology a little bit, understanding evil angels. C.S. Lewis wrote in the Screwtape letter uh, probably one of the best warnings I think we could have today. Here's what he said. Or here's what he wrote. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist <coughs> or a magician with the same delight. In other words, he said, you know, we got, we got two, two camps, one of them, is to totally disbelieve. And there are people today who do not believe that angels are real, demons are real, they don't believe the devil's real, don't believe the Holy Spirit's real. There's a lot of people that fit into that camp. But then there are others who not only do they believe, but then they start pursuing. That becomes their object of pursuit. 
And, and so they, they come up with all kinds of things. Again, go into a Christian bookstore, go to the angel demon section or, or whatever they have it under, and, and you're going to find books about how to, and in fact, I'm, I'm not going to call his name. He wrote, there was a guy who wrote some books several years ago that talked about if you were going to go into a community and you wanted to canvas it for the Lord, the first thing you have to do is you've got to go into the community, find out what the reigning demon is of that area, and then you've got to start directing warfare against that, that demon and, you know, connect with that demon to subdue him before you, again, I'm just saying there, there, there's all kinds of stuff that's out there. And we have to be careful. I can either have an unhealthy obsession with demons and angels for that matter, or I can discount them and I do so at my peril. Because the Bible, it lets us know. So, so first of all, who are demons? Well, I mean, simply put, demons are evil angels who sinned against God and they continually work evil in the world. They were, they were part of that one-third of the rebellion when Lucifer, the morning star, led his rebellion against God and was kicked out of heaven. Some are bound in chains and they're awaiting the end, and others are free to roam according to 2 Peter 2.4. God did not spare his angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. So the one-third that was kicked out of heaven, you have some of them are bound, chained, waiting for the final judgment, and then some of them are active in our world today. When God created the angels, they were all good. They were all good. However, when Lucifer, who is one of the archangels, rebelled against God, again, he took one-third of the angels with him. And so now we refer to those as uh, demons or evil spirits. That's where they come from. Um, there are two passages in the Old Testament that give us what everyone believes is the description of the fall of Lucifer. Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28. Um, if, if you read it, I'll read it here in a minute, uh, some of it, but it's directed, the comments are directed to the prince of Tyre, um, and, and that, which, which was a real person. But when you read it, there are some things that cannot apply to an individual. Uh, and it describes a scene that is played out in heaven. Here's what it says in verse 2. It says, because your heart is proud and you have said, I am a God, I sit in the seat of the gods, in the heart of the seas, yet you are but a man and no God, though you make your heart like the heart of a God. Then in verse 8 says, they shall thrust you down into the pit. Verse 14 and 15, we're given a little more evidence that this is not just an earthly individual. Here's what it says. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in all your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. So he starts out talking about the prince of Tyre, which was an individual, an evil person, but then he shifts into what is not a description of an earthly individual. He now shifts into Lucifer, who was the anointed cherub. 
Isaiah 14 is the second passage that picks up the fall of Lucifer. Uh, listen, the most glorious angel that was ever created was Lucifer. He was created musical. He was a worshiping uh, angel. Uh, he was beautiful, intelligent. The word Lucifer means day star. Day star. Again, this chapter in Isaiah 14 is directed to a man, the king of Babylon. The language, again, is too specific to refer only to a human. Here's what it says in verses 12 through 15. It says, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, notice the, I'm, the I will statements here. He said, You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mountain of assembly in the, in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol to the far reaches of the pit. Again, that's the origins there of what we know as Satan. In fact, Lucifer is called Satan in 1 Chronicles 21, 20, uh, excuse me, 21, 1. This is what Jesus calls him in Matthew 4, 10. But that's not all he's called. He's called the devil in Matthew chapter 4. He's called the serpent in Genesis 3. He's called Beelzebub in Matthew 10. He's the ruler of this world in John 12. He's the evil one in Matthew 13. He's the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians chapter 2. And in Revelation 12, it gives us five different names. Here's what it says. John writes about this person here. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So that's the origin of the demonic as we know it today. They were angels that were created in the very beginning uh, when Lucifer, what was Lucifer's sin? Anybody remember? Pride. Yeah, pride. Again, when I read that, notice the, the five I will. I will do this. I will do that. I will be God. I, it, was, it was all pride. Till pride was found in his heart. One trans, the version I read said unrighteousness, but other versions say pride. He was created to be in the presence of God, to worship, intelligent, beautiful. But he became haughty, arrogant, and proud. And he led that rebellion. And you know what he's been doing ever since? He's still fighting a rebellion. That's what he's doing right now. You know, you would think he, you would, think he would understand. I, I, I forget who it was. Somebody uh, years ago did this little deal. It says, when the devil comes and reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Because the books already established what that future is. I mean, uh, again, for us, I sit here and I think, well, how comes he? How 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 come he doesn't understand that? I mean, obviously, the devil's not stupid; he's an intelligent being, and yet today he continues to make war. You know, maybe somehow still fighting this rebellion, thinking that in Isaiah fourteen he can still ascend to the throne and that he can still usurp God's authority, but he can't. His fate has already been sealed. That's why, you know, in Revelation, when it talks about uh, when, you, when you get into the millennial kingdom and the, the battle of Armageddon, God sends one angel, and that one angel comes out with the authority of heaven behind it, grabs him, 
ties him up. Actually, the uh, Battle of Armageddon ties him up, throws him into the pit for a thousand years. One angel. This guy's been terrorizing humanity for the last thousand, you know, 10,000 years, whatever. There are many uh, around today. People picture the devil how? As a red suit, pitchfork, you know? They even made a popular TV show about it, Lucifer, called Lucifer. Lucifer, and, and his name is uh, Lucifer Morningstar. Again, even on television, they make series. And again, it's just, you know, the darkness loves that. They love the fact that if you deny their existence, you make fun, have fun, dress up like a devil, or you become obsessed with them. What do demons do? Okay, i got to hurry up. What do demons do? Number one, they attack the person of God. They attack the person of God. Notice again in Isaiah 14, he said, I will make myself like the Most High. Since that failed, he was cast out of the presence of God. Satan and his evil angels have, have, have just continued to attack the person of God. He's referred to as the adversary 56 times in the Bible. Pride causes downfall. Pride makes him continue in that adversarial attack against God. Number two, they attack the purposes of God. So Satan and his imps, if you will, not only do they attack the person of God, they attack the purpose of God. The devil and his demons are diametrically opposed to everything that God is accomplishing today. By the way, he can't win, okay? But he's still fighting, tooth and nail. Uh, you know, so part of that plan is to derail the church, is to stop the ministry of the church. Uh, in fact, remember Paul in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul was talking about, hey, I was delayed. Here's what he said. He said, we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again. But what happened to him? He said, but Satan hindered us. Satan hindered us. Again, I, I think part of his plan today is to, again, he wants to annihilate the church. He wants to ruin the church, and, and he wants to neutralize the effectiveness of the church. If he can get us squabbling among ourselves, which he's done a good job in, in, in places before, that's what he's trying to do is disrupt what God wants to do here. You know, the witness of the church to the world is that part of the witness of the church to the world is the fact that God can take red and yellow, black and white, people from varying backgrounds, ethnicities, whatever, socioeconomic status, bring us all together to focus on a purpose. You don't find that much in our world today. And when you find it, that one thing that unites us is the, is the bond, uh, the blood of Christ that unites us as brothers and sisters, he'll go after that. In fact, in fact, John 8 says he's a murderer and the father of all lies. Not only that, but he also attacks the people of God. The people of God. Now, this is a little bit different than the first two. When demons assault the person and purpose of God, they do it very boldly. But when they attack the person of God or the people of God, oftentimes they're a little more subtle. You know, they'll come in, you know, and I think they follow three phases. One of them be the tempting phase. Again, without blaming everything that happens in life on the devil, we need to recognize part of his strategy is to tempt us, to sow those seeds. Listen, if he can get us thinking about other things, to get our minds off of what we're here for, you know, he knows that, again, if I'm thinking, you know, if I see images, you understand what I'm talking about, tempting. If he can get me focused on things, then, then it's not but a short step to committing an act. The second phase is the deceiving phase. 
And again, I think uh, he's been deceiving people since the Garden of Eden, right? How, how, did, how did he get them to fall? He deceived them. He deceived Eve. And uh, in, in Genesis 3, 4, and 5 says, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What did he do? He deceived her. He directly denied God's truth and he made disobedience seem like a desirable outcome. And she disobeyed and death reigns. And then you move into the accusing phase. After tempting and deceiving us, he waits for us to listen to his lies. Once we do, then the accusations fly. Ah, you call yourself such a Christian. Again, Satan, uh, Revelation 2.10 says, Satan, he accuses us day and night before God. Think of this. How many people today feel guilty about something they did years ago? That's part of it right there. There are people today that sit in churches and they are, they are paralyzed for the most part because they're kicking themselves for things that have happened years ago that's already been forgiven. He, he likes to remind us and tell us how we're no good and how God could never forgive us. You know, we, you, know, you know, if you ever battle with something like that, just remember Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the antidote. When he, when he comes wanting to knock on your door and, and guilt, lay guilt on you for something you've done in the past, just say, you know what, devil, I've already confessed that, pled, pled the blood over it, and there's no condemnation now. The fourth thing is they attack, I've got to hurry, the pursuers of God. And this is a big one here, and this is what I mean. How many times does the devil intervene with someone by trying to convince them they have plenty of time? Oh, you don't need to give your heart to Jesus. You're just a teenager. You got all your life to live. Wait till you get old. Wait till, you, wait till you've sown your wild oats and lived a little bit and had your life. Then, then, then come back. And boy, he's good at that one, right? He'll fill, he'll fill our minds with doubt or try to fill our minds with doubt so that we won't surrender to the call of God on our life or our people won't surrender to, uh, to give their heart to the Lord. Uh, you know, he's kind of like the soil that Jesus talked about in Matthew 13. It says, when, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and does what? Snatches away the seed. He's working hard. The evil one, he'll do everything he can. He wants us not to attend church. He doesn't want the, the, the community to come together. It's in the community that we build confidence and strengthen each other. We unify together. Listen, God already said, if, if, we, if we come together, there's not anything that we cannot do. So he does everything he can to keep us apart. What does the Bible say in 2 Corinthians 4? It says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's why I say anytime you have someone who's, who's unsaved and you're praying for them, Pray that God would open the eyes of their understanding that they might be enlightened by see his truth and be enlightened and then believe. Here's the last thing and I'm going to close. So let's talk about a battle plan. We talked about, again, we haven't asked for it. What did Peter say? He's like a, our adversary is like a, a, a what? A roaring lion? Walks about seeking whom he may devour. John says in John 10, 10, he's a thief who comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. So what's the battle plan? 
Again, Paul said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Listen, if you're a born-again believer, then you just need to hang on to the promises of 1 John 4, 4, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That's it. The battle plan is we don't have to be unsettled about the power of the devil or his demons. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be sober-minded and watchful. And then he goes into your adversary, walks about. But I like what he said, be sober-minded. What does it mean to be sober-minded? It means to be alert. It means to be watchful. And I think the force behind the command is stay awake. <laughs> stay awake. Anybody ever had somebody surprise you because you fell asleep? Snuck up on you when you didn't expect it because you fell asleep? That's what he's saying. He said, look, stay awake. You have an adversary who is prowling about, looking for an opportunity. Stay awake. Stay alert. Be ready. Verse 9 says, resist him firm in the faith. The word resist means to stand firm. Plant yourself. And it pictures this face-to-face confrontation. I, I love reading the story about Smith Wigglesworth one time. was I think it was in somewhere, uh, somewhere there in England. He was doing a... a, a a uh, revival and was tired and he, you know, he, he was a grump. They said he was a grumpy man, but man, what a powerful man he was. Said he was, was sound asleep and he was awakened by the sense of a presence at the end of his bed. When he rousted about and he looked down and he saw the devil standing at the end of his bed and he just looked at him and said, oh, it's just you and rolled back over went to sleep. <laughs> Stand firm. Resist the devil. We shouldn't, here's the thing, we shouldn't underestimate nor should we overestimate the enemy. On our own, we're no match for him. But with him, he's no match for us. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And here's the thing, I'm closing. Don't don't make the mistake of thinking that Satan is God's opposite or equal. They're not. He's a defeated foe on a very short leash. The story of Job gives us the picture. He said, you can't do this, you can't do that. Here's a line you can't cross. And then the Bible gives us the end. Revelation 20.10 says, and the devil, I love this, who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they, were, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's the end. That's the end. Lewis, let me close with this story. C.S. Lewis, again, in the screw tape letter, gives the strategy that Satan and his, I guess his demons were discussing how best to keep someone from following Christ. One suggested they plant seeds of doubt about God. Another one thought they could use hypocrisy to keep people away. After another, a number, another number of ideas surfaced, one young demon hesitantly suggested, you've missed the most effective strategy. Just tell them they all have the time, they have all the time in the world to decide. Tell them that it's not that important. Tell them to wait another day. And I think that strategy has been used effectively in our culture today. I want you to stand with, with me as we close. Again, we answer, 
I wanted to answer the question, are angels and demons real? And the, Bible, the biblical evidence is absolutely that there is a spiritual realm. Paul said we wrestle not against flesh and blood. There is a struggle that goes on. A lot of things that happen in life may manifest in an outward way, but there is a spiritual component to it. And I think sometimes we need to be cognizant of that and understand that the Bible says the, that the weapons of our warfare are not... They're not carnal. They're not man-made. Some of those battles that we face are better fought on our knees than strategizing with experts or what have you. Does that make sense? I, I, you know, if we're not careful, we can get to the point where we discount the element of the spirit and look at everything, as, you know, just, just from our lens. But, again, that's why I gave you that story of Elisha because Elisha, to him, the spiritual realm was just as real to him as was the natural physical realm. It was not a stretch for him to say, God, open his eyes and let him see. So what I'm suggesting tonight as we close in prayer is that if you're struggling with things right now, make it a matter of prayer. Do battle on your knees. I, I, one, one of the ways I think is a very effective way of fighting spiritual battles is quoting Scripture praying scripture. You know, if you're struggling with some areas of your life, go find scriptures and just begin to just begin to pray those scriptures. Lord, I'm claiming Lord, I'm claiming this verse. I'm claiming Romans 8 and 1 that says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in you. My past is my past has been forgiven. It's been cleansed. You've washed me clean and the devil holds no power over me anymore. I claim that promise. Fight those battles. That's that's warfare. He's in the world. He's trying to sabotage everything that we do. You know, that's why if, if we have gathering, I promise you that there, I, I got to stop. It's time to go. But he's, he's busy resisting, church. When he comes and gets in, something gets in your craw, resisting rather than sow seeds of divisiveness. I want you to bow with him as we close in prayer, and I'm just going to close it like this. Maybe here tonight and say, Pastor, you know what? This, this really makes a lot of sense. I've got some things going on in my life right now, and I've, honestly, I've never thought of it, there being a spiritual component to it. I need, I need to battle some things. I need to battle some things on my, on my knees. I need to get in my prayer closet. You say, Pastor, pray for me in closing. If that's you tonight, if you're online, if you'll comment, if you're here tonight, just lift your hand right, right back down real quick. Say, Pastor, pray for me. There's some things I recognize and I need to fight. Father, tonight I thank you. Lord, thank you that greater is he who is in us than he that is in this world. Lord, there's thank you that when we confess you as our Lord and our Savior, you inscribed us in the palm of your hand. There's not a devil big enough that can take us out. Lord, the devil is like the big bad wolf. He can huff and he can puff, but he can't blow our house down. Lord, may we resist him. Lord, when he comes against us and tries to remind us of how bad we were, Lord, we just remind him of his future and what we have in store, what you have in store for us. Father, I pray for those that raise their hand that are battling some things tonight. Lord, I pray that you would fill them with your, with your boldness and with your power. Lord, that we would fight and do our warfare on our knees as we... Uh, Lord, as we fight in that spirit realm, Lord, we know that we have an adversary. But, Father, we also know that we have an advocate and an intercessor, whoever lives to make intercession for us. So, Father, may we walk in the peace and power of the Holy Spirit. 
May we walk with this awareness of the abiding presence and power of the Holy Spirit every day, every moment of our life, that we're never alone, we're never powerless, because through you, we can run through a troop and leap over a wall. Through you, we can accomplish and do anything. We thank you for that. Now go with us, I pray. Give us a great, restful night. May we sleep soundly in you. Lord, should you, Terry, bring us on Sunday ready to receive, Lord, what you have for us. Bring people from the north, the south, the east, and the west ready for an encounter with you. Bless our efforts tomorrow as we serve our community with giving out food. Keep everyone safe. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you, and I love you very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It covers me with destiny.